Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a award-winning podcast by Nation's Restaurant News. I am your host, Holly Petrie. And this week, we are going to talk about McDonald's upping its marketing efforts with SMS texts and the McGold card. We're also going to be talking about Amanda Cohen entering the plant-based restaurant wars because everything is a war this day. Uh, what does it mean that we have another plant-based player? Have we entered oversaturation or will this be the Shake Shack of vegan burgers as is promised? We will discuss that. Um, and also restaurant sales remain strong heading into a big sales period. They've posted the strongest two months since March. Will this holiday season be the biggest ever following a big Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales that topped records? We will see. Uh, but first, let me introduce my co-hosts. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. Hi, I'm Joanna Fantosi, Senior Editor with Nation's Restaurant News. And before we get into all that, I'm going to throw it over to our sponsor for this episode. Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. All right, guys, let's dive into it. How are you guys doing today? Hungry. <laughs> it's the middle of the afternoon, Sam. We're not even recording at 11 o'clock. I know. I, I, it's almost like I have a Pavlovian response. I, I get on to record our introduction to extra serving and my stomach's like, wait, is it lunchtime? <laughs> so I'm hungry. I just, I'm hungry all the time, guys. I don't know. It's weird. This is old age. <laughs> you get hungry in your old age. Yep. Well, and a surprise to no one, I had Taco Bell today. So oh, I'm feeling great. Uh, we got to hit up Taco Bell to get them to sponsor this podcast or something for the amount of Taco Bell you eat for extra serving. <laughs> You'll probably think that they do sponsor it. They don't. We have not gotten a Taco Bell sponsorship yet. 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 Oh, I will say yet. I will one day. That is like my goal in life is to get a Taco Bell sponsorship. Or if there was another chain out there, hypothetically speaking, that was in both New York and Columbus, Ohio, and could send some delivery to us while we were doing our podcast and we could be eating your food on screen. I'm just saying. I love that idea. Yeah. I am so down. I'm trying to eat lightly today because I am going to uh, the opening of, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try uh, Fogo de Chog. I think that's how you say their name. Um, I'm going to, they're opening in Queens for the first time. So I'm going to that tonight. So I'm trying to clear my stomach for all of the meats. <laughs> their food is delicious, Joanna. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've been to the Manhattan one like 8 million times, but. <laughs> oh, you know, I got to say though, um, I, I just don't think product placement is really for us guys. I just am not so sure that we want to go down that, um, down that rabbit hole. It would be probably bad. For those of you who cannot see this right now, Sam is holding up a Dutch Bros water bottle that he's currently drinking out of that. I don't remember. Like a lot of, that looks like it's seen some better days. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember when I got this. It's within the last two years, but it has become my reliable water bottle. Um, it's actually probably for coffee since it's Dutch Bros, but it's usually a water bottle for me. Why does their logo look like the and now you know thing? Oh, like the NBC, like do 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 do. I don't know. Well, they, it's kind of retro. I think there's some '80s retro vibes in Dutch Bros logo, right? Can we get sued for you just singing that music, Sam? I, I sang three notes. Do 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 do. Isn't it like? Isn't it like ten seconds uh, of a song that you get sued for, something like that? I don't know. Land doesn't let me put anything in here. She she's very strict on um on the legal legal things. We have to be careful. Yes, she's very strict on that. All right, well, let's get into the to the news before we do anything else that may uh, cause legal to get on our case. Yes, good idea. Uh, literally. Again. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> again. so uh, let's talk about McDonald's. Okay. Largest chain, largest chain in terms of sales, uh, is By doing far. some new marketing efforts. They've tapped into some SMS texts. You know, they're... The, the guy who runs the McDonald's accounts is now um, texting you 
pretty cool. Now contacting your phone. Yeah, you can put air quotes there, Sam, but I think it's pretty cool. Well, my air quotes um, belong around the guy who runs their accounts because it also is an automated thing. And I don't right. think the guy who runs their accounts is automated. Right, but it's still like a cute marketing ploy that they're, sure. that they're calling it that. And that some people will be like, oh my God, the guy who runs the McDonald's account, because that's become a thing. Like the guy who runs the Wendy's account, like is tweeting at me or something like that. Like it's become a cute little marketing ploy. Like, sure. Um, but, and then they also have the McDonald's account. So what do you guys think of these new marketing efforts? Well, I, it, it follows in line with uh, efforts to better personalize marketing. Um, Joanna disappeared by Joanna. It's been real. Maybe she'll pop up again <laughs> later. She was like, nope, I'm not talking about McDonald's. No way. Um, oh, she's coming back. She's coming back. I accidentally <laughs> clicked leave. Instead of the microphone, button. Uh, I, I just, I just thought you really didn't want to talk about marketing for McDonald's. You really didn't want to talk about the McDonald's gold cart. Anyway, you're like, sorry. I'm okay. over it. Anyway, that anyway. so companies are trying to personalize their marketing because customers' attention is uh, at a premium, right? I mean, there are thousands of things we give our attention to. There are hundreds of apps we put on our phones. And to get their attention is increasingly hard. And so not only do you have to really personalize your communications with customers so that they want to engage with you and choose to engage with you and opt in, but uh, by doing this via text, you know, it's a, it's a push uh, way to get their attention rather than pull. They don't have to go find your app to do it. You um, buzz in their pocket and there you are, you're, you're right there in front of them. So um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think text uh, it's funny because text marketing, SMS marketing is feels kind of old school in a way. It's been around, you know, really since texting itself was, but again, I mean, there's pros and cons to having an app. Um, but, but the app, you know, I've heard some people talk about the fact that apps are really precious real estate on your phone, that you're very choosy on which apps you put on your phone. Um, and also, again, you have to go open the app um, unless you set up notifications and everything. So anyway, point being is that SMS marketing is a way to get the attention of the person. But you cannot just do any old, hey, want to, you know, here's a deal. It, it has to be clever and um in your words, Holly, cute, because it has to feel like there's a person on the other end of this. It has to engage the customer. And I, so that's what I think McDonald's is doing here with this new campaign and coming from Brian, the guy that runs their accounts. Um, it feels like there's another person on the end of the line. Um, so yeah, it, it, it makes sense from that standpoint to better personalize these communications between brand and customer. I think McDonald's is also playing catch up here because I think that for a long time they weren't known as the fun, cool brand that's going to connect with you on social media and through text messaging. Um, I feel like they were almost to borrow um, a nickname of the New York Times, almost like the gray lady of fast food um, in that in, in that I, I, I think that they're realizing how successful like marketing campaigns from Taco Bell, for example, which I think is is definitely still the the king of quick service um, marketing campaigns for younger customers. And I think they're seeing how successful that is, how successful the fun Wendy's account is, and they're realizing that okay, we should probably hop on this bandwagon. For sure, it's funny. I was with my mom over like the Black Friday, Cyber Monday extravaganza, um, and as all mothers do, she was like, "Who's texting you so much?" And I was like, it's every brand in the world that I've ever signed up for via SMS text is texting me this weekend. She so, would be now, like, so now everybody on this podcast knows to get Holly's phone number because you are susceptible <laughs> to their marketing, apparently. Because I, for one, I'm somebody who's pretty, I, I'm pretty careful about those things. I only will subscribe to, you know, um, uh, phone numbers, uh, SMS marketing apps. Uh, email, all those things. I'm very careful about what I sign up for because I do not want the deluge of messaging. Um, and so it, it, it is a, a very special connection when, you know, for a lot of customers, it's like I'm choosing, It's it gets back to this whole lifestyle idea, right? That, that term lifestyle brand that came up many moons ago, just, uh, you know, trying to show how customers want to adapt a brand into their lifestyle. This is it, right? This is accepting them in and you have to opt in. Good 
golly, what is happening on your phone? Too many notifications. I have 354 unread text messages. Why? I really just like, it, you could text me and it wouldn't even phase me. Holly, I'm stressed for you. I'm, I'm stressed. For, like I, that gives me so much anxiety. I have to, when I get notifications on things, I have to close it out. Like if I have a notification on my email, I'm going to go look at it. I mean, I had to turn it off Slack because it was, it was overwhelming me anyway. Now we have a case study in two different types of customers and myself and Holly. Um, but if I could just um, touch on one other thing too, is uh, we haven't brought up their VIP card that McDonald's mm -hmm. is also doing, which is, um, I did not know about this card. Uh, I did not know that this was something that's apparently been around for many years as a uh, franchisees can give this VIP card to their VIPs. And apparently Rob Lowe busted one out on Jimmy Kimmel. And ever since then, McDonald's fans have theorized about how to get these. So now what we have is McDonald's part of this SMS text uh, marketing gimmick or whatever is that they are giving loyalty uh, customers an opportunity to win one of these VIP cards. Um, all of this is connected, right? Like all the, the SMS marketing loyalty program exclusivity. We've been talking about it on this podcast for a while now, which is loyalty programs. And Joanne, I'm going to give you the floor here in a second because you're really, you, you know a lot about these loyalty programs, but like exclusivity is key to being able to win over customers to your loyalty program and give them something more than just a discount. So I think this VIP card is a really interesting way to just take this to another level, which is to say like, here's this cool exclusive thing you can have if you're part of the club. Anyway, Joanna, you take it from here. Yeah, that's all we're hearing from people really. It's it's loyalty 3.0 kind of um, in that I think the loyalty 2.0 was like, well, loyalty 1.0 was like the punch cards, right? Loyalty 2.0, which is kind of, we're starting the digital rewards and it was kind of like the original Starbucks rewards. You spend this amount, you get mm -hmm. these mass stars or dollars or whatever in response, uh, or rather in, in return. And now I think that you're really just seeing that people, like you said, want more than that. Uh, they want to be important and they want to know that maybe they'll be able to skip the line or maybe they'll be able to get like a fancy gold card or um, they, they want to feel, they want to feel important. Um, and I think that that's, and I think that that's what we're going to see moving forward that and subscription programs. And that's kind of how you're going to deal with your most loyal customers. Um, and I think that the days of just spend X amount of dollars, get 20% off or get a free refill or whatever are nearly over. Oh, and by the way, um, one other thing, Alicia, our colleague uh, pointed out in the story about the SMS texting is how, you know, people are choosing to opt in and then they gave, you know, you had to give a number of, of bits of information about yourself, like what time zone you're in, um, obviously your phone number there. And it, this is all data collection too, right? So as McDonald's is collecting data, phone numbers, emails, et cetera, et cetera, um, they can further personalize, right? Like, so Joanna, to your point, like this is, you know, just one phase of loyalty. The next phase, we're going to see even further personalization because of the amount of data that all the brands are collecting on each customer now. So it's really interesting. And and by the way, I mean, I think it's a win for both sides, even if it might sound like sound like a little big brother. Um, if my favorite restaurants are still tailoring offers around my behaviors, it, it makes it a lot easier for me to, and perhaps cheaper if they're offering me discounts, like that's a, that's a win for me at the end of the day. And it's a win for them because they keep my loyal business and know more about me. So I, I, it's a, it's an interesting direction for the whole industry, but McDonald's for them to be participating in obviously legitimizes all of this. Uh, here's another trend prediction that I didn't include, unfortunately, in my tech trend predictions that are coming out. This but now we got uh, to, now we've got to. Um, but my, I think that what would be kind of cool is if you do sign up for this, whether it's through text messaging or an app, um, it has uh, geolocation, so uh, or, or so it, or geofencing technology in it. So maybe it knows when you are passing a McDonald's uh, and will shoot you a twenty percent off coupon for an item, or or half off coupon for an item that they know that you order all the time. Like maybe you're a McNuggets person. Um, and I think that that might be, that might be next speaking of kind of creepy big brother. Vibe. Yeah, that, that is a step like I, that obviously requires an opt in too, because that is a step. I think a lot of people wouldn't want to take, which is, you know, where I am. That is 
a step too far, but there are a lot of people who would go for it. I mean, technology is getting better and smarter and companies know more and more about you and apps are doing more that we don't even know about. Um, and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and what comes of technology's future. I mean, we just don't know. We don't know what things have in store for us. And I now think I'm, it's going to be really exciting to see. I'm kind of excited. I was just about to say, now I'm terrified because that's all sounds really frightening to me, but whatever. I mean, our devices already listen to us. I mean, think about, I don't know if you, if you guys have any um, Alexa or, um, or Google devices, but I, I kind of feel like it's, I worry that they're always listening to you. I was a little worried about you saying that word uh, because mine was about to turn on. Um, oh, I was sorry. a little worried. That was <laughs> Alexa, order Holly more Taco Bell. Ah, I heard her. <laughs> Alexa, off. <laughs> I really hope some Taco Bell shows up at your door. You monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Oh okay, now on. let's talk about Amanda Cohen and get you off of this topic. <laughs> The opposite of Taco Bell. <laughs> the opposite of Taco Bell. Hey, they've done some plant-based stuff. They have. They're actually very, very good at plant-based things. I did order a plant-based thing today. Um, but Taco Bell is uh, is good with plant-based things, just not as good as Amanda Cohen. Yes, she is the queen of of plant-based. I feel like she's she kind of led the way with uh, – with veggie, veg, vegan and vegetarian focused fair in New York City with the famous award-winning dirt candy restaurant. And now she has Lekka Burger, which is just opening its second location. Um, and uh, I interviewed her and we and we talked a bit about um, about what kind of makes and and I also interviewed her, uh, her colleague, uh, her uh, business partner. And we talked a bit about kind of what makes Lekka Burger different. I think that it's different really because something that really struck struck me is that they don't use the impossibles and beyonds. They uh, they make their own burger, which it sounds silly because it like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you would have said, well, of course, if you have a veggie burger, it's going to be made of like legumes and beans and stuff. And now it's kind of more normalized for, for veggie focused plant-based burger places like in our uh, plant-based burger showdown to have impossibles and beyond partnerships. Um, but they don't do that. So kind of makes them stand out. Yeah. And, and um, as you mentioned, Joanna, we did a, a plant-based showdown a couple months ago that I highly recommend everybody go check out. Um, Holly, you were a uh, signature in putting that together. How many of those brands, Holly, we had 10 brands that we featured. How many of them to your recollection used proprietary product versus a beyond or impossible? I think maybe three use proprietary product um, okay. versus like six or seven using um, beyond or impossible. It was, it was not even close. Cause I, I agree. I think that that's going to be key for any brand that wants to get out ahead of this pack. I mean, that's going to be a key differentiator. Look, uh, I, I sort of think, I don't want to call plant-based a bubble and I don't think, it's certainly not a bubble that's about to pop, but I know Beyond is really struggling right now. Their stock price is in the, um, you know, is is in the pits. And um, I was reading recently just about all the troubles they've had lately, which includes their COO biting a man's nose. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I but you're going to bring that up. I mean, I how, how can you not? It's just too perfect. It's tailor made for this industry. So, um, but yeah, it's it's um, Beyond has been struggling. Um, I, I think you know to some degree the whole movement had a moment, um, but I don't think it's going to go away. I think it settles it settles into a niche. It sticks around forever because there's so many more vegetarians, vegans, flexitarians, and people just want to eat plant-based and healthier food. But I do think it's key that, you know, they have to differentiate because I think part of the problem is with Impossible and Beyond, you have such similar products served everywhere. And, um, you know, you can give your own little spin to a product, sure, but still you're kind of eating the same thing. So um, that that's what I see for this movement going forward. Um, I'm skeptical of any brand that, you know, wants to, 
uh, or thinks they can go become the next big thing of any particular category, especially one like this that is fairly saturated. Um, but to have a chef like Amanda Cohen uh, uh, involved with this one is also a good differentiator. Plant Burger, which has Spike Mendelson, that's one. I think that was the one, if I'm not mistaken, did they come out on top of our plant-based showdown? Yeah. Yep, yep, I mean, I'd, I'd say that's another brand I'd put my money on. Um, at the end of the day, the quality of the food really matters. It has to taste like a regular burger, or at least it has to taste like a craveable something that some, somebody wants. Um, that's going to be the key to expanding into something that potentially could have hundreds of locations. I think that the key is, I, I think that it's going to be more popular going forward to have uh, to have companies that have proprietary burgers, uh, simply because I think that there's a little bit of backlash against the impossible and beyonds now because of they have, I mean... Uh, I'm going to put air quotes here because they have ingredients you can't pronounce and like things that uh, all the like chemicals or whatever in there that um, ingredients that kind of make it the mouth feel the same as a regular burger. Um, and because of that, you're kind of sacrificing like, like the, like in Lekka burger, they basically just have beans, garlic, onions, and I forget what else. And they, she said all the ingredients you can find in your pantry. And so I think that, Vegans and vegetarians might think that, well, I don't want my burger to have all this stuff in it to taste like a meat-based burger. Uh, so, so I think that I don't think it's necessarily that the plant-based burger market is a niche market. I think that people that want their plant-based burger to taste exactly like a beef or meat-based burger is going to become more of a niche market. Yeah. Um, on that note, I do have to run. Because I have a three thirty. Oh. Bye, Joanna. I, I, this. I was like, I, I'm sorry, I have a three thirty. But you care about us less than them. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, Sam. So let's talk about restaurant sales. Dare I call them booming? No, oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, okay. So yeah, let's set the stage here. Restaurant sales are. Highest since March, is that right? In November, highest tell me what's the... the last two months have been the highest last since March. March. Okay. Well, I think um, what we... What... Dare I say booming? I mean, come on. I, I feel like I could almost say booming. Uh, don't you dare, I, I would say. Uh, but That sounds so harsh, but it, just to follow what you're saying. Um, I, you, look, I mean, I think what we're still seeing, and we saw that we heard this from a lot of the companies in their Q3 earnings reports, was that their, their sales increases are largely due to price increases. Um, across the industry, we see that traffic is down. Um, so, you know, think about this time of year. Yes, um, Cyber Monday and Black Friday, we saw records uh, for how much uh, folks spent on these holidays, that uh, e-commerce is exploding, uh, the holidays, big time to spend. But does that correlate to restaurant traffic um, is, is sort of a TBD. I mean, um, one of the things I was thinking about was – uh, the box office receipts for movie theaters last weekend were the lowest in, in many years, including pre-pandemic. And um, I think if we were to theorize what's going on here, when you look at uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday being records, but the box office being down is people are staying home, right? I mean, you know, I'm Katie and I just finished our Christmas shopping the other day, which is unprecedented. Finished? Yeah. Yeah. Unprecedented for us. But that's because we had a couple of days off on Thanksgiving break. We're like, let's just bang out some Amazon orders. Right. I didn't step foot into a mall. And we were talking about how amazing it is that, because I hate malls, I hate crowds, you know, and I, so I don't want to go be in a mall in the holiday season. And, and we, we made a list over the holiday and on cyber Monday, we boom hit, you know, um, buy on that Amazon cart because of all the deals. Right. So um, my point in saying that is that I, I think that many Americans these days are staying at home. They're ordering their stuff online. They're not going out to movie theaters, probably not going to, out to restaurants. So, of course, you have delivery and off-premises could still be factors here and could be, obviously, is contributing to sales increases. But I don't think it means that we're through the woods. It's very clear that inflation is having an effect it's, you know, they're all, all the signifiers or indicators for uh, recession are there. People are starting to spend less. They're, um, you know, they're tightening their belts. They're, um, you know, not visiting restaurants as much. Uh, they're trading down. 
uh, all of that is still sort of red flag. And so we're not going into some boom season or anything like that. We just did a webinar yesterday about recession proofing your restaurant. And um, Andrew Smith from Savory, who's our partner on that series, he's like, we're in a recession. You know, he, he believes we are in a recession. Um, and if even if we're not, it will be here soon. And same thing as inflation in recession time, a little bit obviously different recession, different than inflation. But the similarity for both of them is people start spending less. So, um, so anyway, um, what will be interesting to watch going directly from inflation into recession is will restaurants be able to lower their prices or what kinds of ways can they, um, devise deals, not necessarily discounting because we learned from the last recession, that's not a good idea, but can you come up with some deals, cut your prices, um, you know, as inflation goes down, will they have a little bit more wiggle room to play around with that price point to encourage more traffic to get customers out and eating in their restaurants? Um, that will soften the blow in the recession. Um, so, uh, so I don't know. Uh, yes, sales are up, but uh, there's a way more to the picture currently. And I think the outlook is still tepid. Um, but what, you know, if there's one thing I could say about the session that we had yesterday about recession, you know, we really ended on a uh, an optimistic tone, right? Like all of the speakers we had on, everybody is fairly optimistic. Everybody is in agreement that this recession is not going to be like the Great Recession. The Great Recession was like a boom, bottom drops out, you know, borderline depression, um, everybody panic, right? We've been expecting this recession for three years. I mean, before the pandemic, we were talking about, well, when the recession starts, and then instead we had a global pandemic, and now we actually are into a recession. Um, so we've been sliding into it. Um, and and because of that, again, uh, and because of the pandemic, behaviors are different. Of course, um, employment is still, unemployment is still very low, um, which means that people do still have discretionary income, which means they're going to be spending. Um, anyway, I, I'm at this point, I'm kind of blabbering, but it, it is mostly just to say, like, I don't think there is, um, reason to run out and celebrate because of sales being up. But I also don't think that we should think that everything's going uh, straight into the pits of hell or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because we were talking about um, how it was the highest grossing Black Friday ever um, on Slack on that Monday or Tuesday or whatever day it was. And um, we were saying, Liam's actually saying, did they account for inflation? And I was saying, I don't think they did. Um, and so when you account for inflation, it actually wasn't the highest grossing Black Friday that there ever was. I mean, yeah. so you have to think about that, um, that if you're not counting inflation, then you're, if you're not factoring that in, then it's much lower. And so you have to think about all that, just like with restaurant, money is not factoring in inflation and blah, 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 and all that finance stuff that, you know, we just talk about, but we don't really know. It's amazing that you are a co-host on a restaurant industry podcast. And you just said the phrase restaurant money and blah, blah, blah. Wow. Amazing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they so get it. They get it. They get it. They get it. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about stuff like that, you have to think about the fact that, you know, we're in a different time now than we, than we were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. It's just a different time. So things are modeled differently than they would have been. So when we say it's a boom, it's a different kind of boom. Maybe a boom yep. for us right now, but a it's not a... It's a boomlet. It's a boomlet. And look, boomlet. look, I mean, I think people will take good news where they can. So cool. Good. You know, it, yeah, everything's contextual. And, um, you know, restaurant operators can see this stuff firsthand anecdotally. They can they understand how much, you know, their their customers behavior and, and um, where things are trending. I mean, I think overall, based on the conversations I've had recently, again, I think there's optimism because people understand this recession is going to be different, you know, um, Kelly Roddy, who is my guest on Takeaway this week, uh, which by the time you're listening to us talk now should be published. Um, but he said, you know, when it rains, you get an umbrella. Because I was asking him just about preparation for a recession. And, you know, for him, it was not like, oh, it's nothing. But it is like, 
you know, you do what you need to do. And, and people, restaurants have been doing that for the last two years with the pandemic. So, um, so I think that, again, I don't think people think the sky is falling. Everybody's sort of, you know, um, taking their lumps, navigating through the challenges, understanding that next year could be tough from a recession standpoint. But there are a lot of ways in which, again, especially based if you compare with the last recession, there are reasons to be hopeful. Um, I've talked to a lot of full service and a lot, but a handful of full service operators in particular who, you know, I'm, I've theorized they should be very worried for a recession because the last recession was very bad to casual dining. And they're like, you know what? No, like, um, you know, they have off premises. They did not have that before. Technology, of course, loyalty programs they're really leaning into. There are a lot of other uh, levers they can pull, so to speak, that really could help them through a recession that they didn't have during the last recession. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, sales are up. They don't they're they're not signifying that um, we're in boomtown, but they at least are an indicator that. There's still demand for restaurants. There will continue to be demand for restaurants. Um, so, yeah, we'll take the win. What's interesting is our guest this week, one of our guests, we have uh, two lovely restaurants on the podcast this week. Um, but one of our guests uh, of Mugshots uh, actually was like, you know what? Once upon a time, it was the worst thing in the world to close a restaurant early or to close it for a day. And then we had COVID. And you just learn that, it's what you got to do sometimes. And they were expecting tornadoes this week uh, oh, in yeah. Mississippi. And he was like, I'm going to close restaurants because it's what I have to do for the safety of the staff. And the money's not going to be there. And you got to do what you got to do. And yeah. it's just, that's how people are going to feel during the recession. We had COVID. We went, we made it through COVID. They closed restaurants for months. And so the recession is just going to be, you got to do what you got to do. And I think people have already kind of felt like they've seen the worst of it. And that at this point, anything past that is just gravy. And so I think that they just feel that restaurateurs have been through worse and they're a strong breed. And I just think that everyone is just going to feel like we can do this. I just pictured like an American flag billowing behind you and a trumpet playing. And <laughs> get on that soapbox, Holly. I think that's that's a good sign that we should wrap this up. Yeah, when we're we're starting to we're starting to fall apart. Leanne can't hold us together. Leanne can't hold us together. I felt yeah. like that was very motivational. I felt like I was very yeah. powerful. Goosebumps, goosebumps. Right everywhere, goosebumps, just like full arm goosebumps. Both yeah. arms. Both arms. It tends to be how it goes. By the way, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, okay, we don't need to theorize about the science of goosebumps. Why don't you roll into our interview? <laughs> I am going to roll into our interviews. The first interview is going to be Mugshot Skrill. Um, and the second interview is going to be The Melt. Um, so I'm going to shoot it over to myself. Thanks for joining me today, Sam. Thanks, and Ollie. thank you, Joanna, who's not here anymore. Thanks, Joanna. <laughs> now we can talk about her. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to throw it over the interview now. Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. All right. So um, to get started with, tell me a little bit about the brand. Sure. Well, we're uh, currently at 21 locations. We started in Hattiesburg, Mississippi back in 2004. Uh, myself, Ron Savelle, and a buddy started the concept. Um, never thought we'd have two, but have been fortunate over the last 18 years to grow, uh, like I said, into 21 stores. Uh, back in 2017, I bought my original partner out and took the company over and uh, we got into franchising and have uh, kind of tightened the company up and trying to grow and and are looking to grow our franchise and arm currently. So, yeah. 
And so what has it been like growing and especially franchising? I mean, for somebody who thought that they weren't even going to have two units, now you're growing and you're franchising. You have over 20. I mean, 20 is a big milestone. You're over 20 now. Uh, what's that like? When I bought the company, uh, my partner out in 2017, he was into franchising and I wasn't. So franchising uh, is particularly new for me over the last four years. Uh, it's a different aspect of the business, definitely. Um, some people think it's just a lot easier, you know, waiting on a check every month, but it's not about that. You're still trying to operate a company and stay under one umbrella, if you will. But uh, certainly has its challenges, but it's been fun and exciting. It's a different challenge. Uh, definitely a change of pace for us being more company owned. Uh, currently, we have 14 franchise locations and seven company owned locations. Um, but we, uh, since the purchase in 2017, we've really tightened up all of our uh, back office, if you will, uh, just trying to prepare ourselves and, and, and improve our franchising from what it was. So it's been exciting, different challenge, and, and uh, we're looking forward to, to bringing on more. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing Ron mentioned since 2017 or early, really early 2018, we really worked on the consistency of the brand, gaining some financial traction because we initially talked about uh, going ahead and franchising. And when Ron and I talked, we decided we weren't ready to go just yet. And so really probably a year ago, we had our fifth franchise group come in and they're the ones that just opened in Florence, Alabama past Monday. Uh, and we kind of felt like we were in a good spot. So we got all our our legal stuff together, FDD, et cetera, and, and really started to move forward. Um, and so, you know, with franchisees, it's all about consistency, but, you know, it's about having a relationship with them too, where they count on us for guidance. We listen to them for direction. Um, and that's, what's really, really key. And I think the exciting thing for us with our franchise group, four of the five have been with us for at least five or six years, some more likely 10 almost, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, so we've got some good continuity uh, in other franchise groups. We've got multi-unit guys. We've got uh, one that has five, one that has four, and one that has three. Um, so we're really kind of trying to ramp the program up, and we'll do a blend of company restaurants as well as franchise restaurants moving forward. And so moving forward, what does growth look like for you guys? We could ask that a lot, Eddie. We talk about that a lot. I mean, we don't have any, you know, crazy, unrealistic expectations on growth. We're going to grow when we feel we're ready. Uh, currently, we just opened, uh, like Eddie said, our, our location in Florence, Alabama, a new franchise group. Uh, we have a location that we're working on starting construction in Foley, Alabama. That would be our next one. Uh, and then we're looking at just different markets. We have a couple in Mississippi and Tennessee that we're looking at. And, uh if the right location pops up, we'll we'll look into it. Yeah, I mean, primarily we're looking uh, to grow throughout the South because we have we have a good awareness here. I mean, we've got uh, all of our stores except for two are located in Mississippi and Alabama. We recently, a year ago, opened Olive Branch, Mississippi. And because of its proximity to several colleges, uh, we had awareness there. So if we can kind of grow concentrically, uh, we'd like to do that. Uh, we probably won't go to Des Moines, Iowa anytime soon. We might, but if there's a guy in, or a person in uh, Pittsburgh that wants to build five restaurants as an experienced operator, we'd probably say, yeah, let's go. But um, um, so anyway, so that's kind of, you know, primarily the South, uh, but uh, really looking for multi-unit operators. Now, you know, you guys mentioned that you're in the South and something that we're recording today on November 29th something that's happening in the South is we're expecting a tornado. Um, I and mean, what is it like to really operate a restaurant when there are natural disasters happening at all times? I mean, we were talking before we started recording about maybe closing stores. You guys are in Mississippi. I mean, what is it like to have to deal with this? It has its challenges. I hate to say we're used to it, but between hurricanes and tornadoes and, and weather this time of the year, particularly it's, Definitely not another day at the office, but we've, over the years, I think COVID, having to close, we never, you know, prior to COVID, the worst day of the year was having to shut a restaurant down early, much less for a whole day. But uh, COVID, in my mind, particularly, I guess, is, is kind of relaxed to some closing. If we, it's not worth being open, it's let's just, let's shut it down. And I say not worth it, uh, not worth it for our employees getting out in it, not worth it for putting our guests in the way but also not worth it because we're probably not going to be busy. So 
those three factors, obviously, uh, safety being number one, um, shutting down is just unfortunately part of it. So we, we've got kind of a line that we're looking at today that's going to be probably six or seven stores. We may just have to shut down early and, and hope for the best. I mean, it sounds like employee safety is also really important to you guys. So, I mean, how important are employees for you guys in terms of employee culture and the culture of restaurants for you? Employees have always been important. Obviously, COVID has showed us that that employees and people, you know, are very important these days uh, with the labor challenges that uh, most in our sector have. Uh, but, I, you know, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, well, I mean, our team, our team members, our team members are integral to what we do, and obviously, our ability to have the same people doing the same job every day makes us pretty good at what we do. So we do focus on making sure that we have stability. Uh, that really kind of starts with uh, at the management level. You know, there's no great shake or secret that when we get a good solid GM that's there for several years, they develop a team. They, it's all about the relationship. And then when you walk into the restaurant, it's all about the vibe because you can tell an excited team because it transcends to the guests. So for us, it's about really trying to make sure that, that we focus on stability throughout our management team and then obviously make sure that we create a good environment for our team members. That's great. And so, you know, I always like to ask, I find it so important to ask a little bit about the food at every restaurant I talk to. So can you guys tell me a little bit about the food? Yeah, we're known pretty well for our hamburgers. Uh, our burgers have won best burger in Mississippi for 14 out of our 17 years, coming up on 18, I guess, the next little voting cycle. But uh, that's something we've kind of hung our hat on and been proud of. But uh, we have a, a delicious eight-pound fresh CAB patty on a Hawaiian sourdough-type bun. Uh, our bun really makes our burger. Um, have a bunch of fun recipes, but uh, our hamburgers are mainly what we're known for. and uh, We have good appetizers, sandwiches, salads, pastas, but our hamburgers are really what we're what we hang our hat on. And so sure down south, that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. But we have, I mean, we have a lot of hand-breaded, hand-chopped items that we serve every day fresh. We put a lot of quality on the plate uh, and really at a very fair price because if you go to our most similar competitors, we're probably priced 75 cents to a dollar less than they are on a similar product. So uh, we try to put value on the plate every day and charge appropriate for it. How do you keep prices low? I mean, that must be increasingly difficult in times like this. <laughs> well, it is. You have to get, first off, you have to get used to a new bar where you say, okay, well, a $12 burger used to say, wow, that's a lot. But today in today's world, it's not. So I mean, we have had to take some price increases this year just to offset uh, some of the inflationary costs. Um, but, uh, you know, we try to make sure that we try not to go so far where somebody has sticker shock and understand what makes us important. One thing we don't do that a lot of other people do, they do a lot of coupon and discounting. We basically do none. So we put value on the plate every day. And, you know, honestly, if you took their prices, once you kind of moderate all the coupons, discounts in, that might be pretty similar, but we don't play any tricks. We just put quality on the plate every single day. That makes a lot of sense. I totally get that. Uh, well, you guys, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to say? Before we let you go, well, no, we, I mean, we appreciate the time, the opportunity. If anybody has an interest, reach out to us. Uh, just go on our website and you'll see where to contact us. So that'd be great. Do you want to give a shout out to your website? Sure. We are at Uh There's a contact for franchise, and obviously they can look through and see the history of our company, et cetera. So um, plenty of info there. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the concept. Sure. I'd love to talk about the melt. So we're a fast, casual restaurant brand with a mission of delivering and I love it here, experience to every guest. Uh, we're headquartered in San Francisco and have locations throughout California. We have uh, 10 
brick and mortar locations and we have uh, 10 licensees who sell our products as well. Um, our, our menu is highlighted by three things. We have uh, handcrafted grilled cheese, our signature melt burgers, uh, and mac and cheese. Um, one of the things that I think makes us different from many other concepts out there is that we're 100% all natural. Um, every menu item is void of hydrogenated fats, preservatives, artificial colors, flavors, or sweeteners. So we have great food that you can feel great about as well. Um, our, uh, our signature product is the melt burger. Um, our, our melt burger is really different from any burger that you've had before for a couple reasons. One, it's made from a custom blend of Angus and Wagyu. But secondly, it's the way the way we make it. A melt burger is made differently than than any other burger that I'm aware of. Um, we we chop our burgers um, about 20 times and uh, then we put on a custom blend of uh, pickle jalapeno relish and then cheese on top. And by chopping the burger, what, what that does is it allows the cheese to soak into the nooks and crannies of the burger. And so it just makes it uh, a lot different from any burger you've tried before. Sounds delicious. You're making me hungry. <laughs> me too. So, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about growth because growth is fun. Yeah. So um, we've been pretty fortunate that in the past four years, um, our sales have more than quadrupled. When we started on this journey in uh, 2016, 2017, our average restaurant did less than 50,000 a week. And today, um, our average restaurant does more than 60,000 a week. And so that has made us very excited about growth. Um, as a matter of fact, um, during COVID, our average unit volumes more than doubled. So we're looking to expand as quickly as possible while being able to maintain um, the high standards that we need in order to deliver that I love it here experience. So this year we opened two locations um, in Northern and Southern California, one in Oakland and one in the gas lamp areas of San Diego. We just opened a third yesterday um, in West Hollywood, and we hope to open a fourth and fifth um, before the end of the year in Danville, and uh, Folsom in the Sacramento area. So we're, we're growing quickly. Um, in 2023, um, our target is to open 10 more locations, um, still primarily in California, uh, but we may step outside of California and uh, uh, look at locations in Arizona as well. And how do you increase AUVs? I mean, that's something that everybody's looking to do. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, we have been pretty fortunate. Our volumes today are are more than quadruple what they were just a few years ago. And I think it all comes down to delivering that I love it here experience. Um, about five years ago, we got some guest feedback and they, the guests started out by saying, I love it here, and then went on to explain exactly why it was that she loved it in our restaurant. And I asked our team, what would happen if every time a guest left our restaurant, they could say, I love it here. And within about 30 days, that became our, our mission and uh, delivering, an I, delivering an I love it here experience to every guest. And we have rallies twice a day with our teams where we talk about um, our mission of delivering an I love it here experience. And everybody talks about what an I love it here experience means to them. And what that means is food so good that the guest says, I love it here. Hospitality so good, the guest says, I love it here. And cleanliness so good that the guest says, I love it here. And we don't really prescribe to our teams how to deliver that. We ask them, what does it take for you to say, I love it here when you visit a restaurant? and then ask them to deliver that same experience to the guests. So I, I think that um, that's been a big piece of it. I think the second piece is um, we made the decision 
a few years ago to do everything that we could with no barriers to make the best sandwiches and the best burgers, best mac and cheese that we could make. So we said, regardless of cost, if you had to make the absolute best food that you could, what would you do? And then we did it. Um, one of the things that is really worked well for us is that uh, when I came on board in, in 2016, I sent a letter to everyone in our database. And I said, you know, hey, I'm the new guy at the Melt, and I have two questions I'd like to ask you. The first is, what do you hope I change? And the second is, what do you hope I don't change? And we got 1,100 responses back. We took those 1,100 responses, we kind of grouped them together, and then we just did what the guests asked us to do, and it's been it's been remarkably successful. Um, I've been in the restaurant business for a while, and and one of the things that I believe pretty strongly in is if you listen to your guests, um, that uh, listen to your team and you listen to your guests, uh, you're going to be successful. And it's worked out better than I could have ever dreamed at this point. If you had told me five years ago that our restaurants would be doing quadruple the volumes that they were doing, I wouldn't have believed you. So um, I couldn't be more excited about the growth that we've experienced. That's amazing. I mean, to hear that kind of story and to hear that kind of guest reaction is so great. I mean, especially to hear that kind of motto is so important that that especially that it came from a customer is such a great story. Yeah, I, I think that in this business, you know, I found that listening to your guests and listening to your team members um, is the way to go. One of the other things that was really a turning point for us is in 2017. Um, I had team members come up to me and say that they wanted to do third-party delivery. And I was not a fan. I said, you know, it's too expensive. The quality of the food isn't going to be there. Um, I don't, I don't see the benefit to, to delivering food that, that might suffer quality wise, and we might not make a lot of money on, but they, they talked me into doing it. And uh, today third-party delivery is, 50% of our, uh, our total sales. And during, during COVID, it got up as high as 80%. And so um, if I hadn't listened to my team, um, we wouldn't be in the same place that we are today. So um, it, it just goes to show, I don't have that many great ideas, but luckily my, my guests and my team do. And if you just listen to them, you can be successful crowdsourcing a great idea from an executive. That's something to know. <laughs> something important to note is yeah, crowdsourcing. Some of our best products come from our teams as well. We have a, we have a, a store general manager in Southern California who manages, manages our restaurant and the gas lamp. And, and uh, she kept on telling me, we need to have strawberry shakes. We need to have strawberry shakes. And so I added strawberry shakes really to make her happy. And, uh, and they were really successful. And then she said, we need to do strawberry lemonade too. And now we sell four times as much strawberry lemonade as we sell regular lemonade. And I didn't even know strawberry lemonade was a thing, but if you listen to your team, you listen to your guests, um, you're going to be happy with the results that, that come out. And that's such a great story. It's a great story to tell. So tell me a little bit about the category you guys are in. I mean, it's a hard category. There's a lot of players that are that are, you know, in your space. It's hard to to really find a niche. How have you guys found a niche? Yeah, I think it's really important to ask yourselves how do you differentiate your your brand and we do that by in two ways. The first is by trying to deliver that I love it here experience to every guest. And um, that's a concept that our team understands and that they can deliver on and in their own personal way. Um, and the second thing is, is that when it comes to your food, you, you, good isn't good enough. Um, first, it has to be great. And second, it has to be different than what anybody else is offering. You know, and I think that that's 
you know, when we were when we were first founded, we were a grilled cheese only concept. And um, today we still sell a lot of grilled cheeses, but our number one product is the melt burger. And the reason why our melt burger is so popular is that we we designed a burger that's different from any other burger that you would have where you you chop the burger and you have the pickle jalapeno lettuce and you have cheese that's melted into the nooks and crannies. Um, you have a blend of Angus and Wagyu. All those are things that nobody else does. And so it makes the burger special. It makes the burger different. And um, but I think that you have to try to do that with every single product that you sell. Um, at the Melt, we never talk about um, profitability or food cost when we're designing a product. We try to make the product as great as we can, and then we can figure out what we need to charge for it. Um, back, back in the days when we were doing significantly less sales, we redid every single item on our menu. And, and as I mentioned, we, we followed our guest recommendations on how to go from good to great. Now that resulted in a burger that was 50% bigger and, you know, and chopped and a totally different experience. It resulted in sandwiches with about double the amount of cheese that we had before. So we had to take a dramatic price increase. It was about overnight. We took about a 25% price increase to make up for those menu improvements, but we actually reduced our price comments by 90% after we increased our prices by 25% because guests were so happy with the quality of the food that they were getting that price was no longer a factor. So um, we really believe that as long as you deliver a quality product, as long as you deliver a product better than the guests can get anywhere else, that you know you can charge a fair price and you can you can get a good return. And it's worked out, it's worked out fantastic for me. I, I couldn't have been more nervous when we took a 25% price increase. Um and uh but boy, um revamping our menu and 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 doing what the guests were asking us to do to go from good to great has been a decision that's really changed the course of our brand. That's incredible. And that's something that a lot of brands are having to do now, not necessarily because of guest comments, but because of inflation. And they're not necessarily seeing the same results that you guys saw. So it's really nice to hear that you saw such positive guest reaction to this um, in, in a different time. So it's really nice to hear that story. I mean, it's important to hear that it's that listening to guests, even when it could be it could be negative for your business could sometimes be a positive. Yeah. I'm pretty obsessive about listening to guests. Um, all uh, guest feedback comes directly to me, to me, to my mailbox. I generally read it within about 30 seconds of when it comes to comes across. Um, quite often I reply to guests um, personally when they send stuff to our, to our mailboxes and um when a guest takes the time to tell you their experience, you know, they're giving us a chance to be better or reinforce um, what they really love about the brand. And so um, we take that pretty seriously. Um, and uh, we, we watch things pretty closely. And if, if a guest tells us that, you know, something needs to change or something needs to be different, we, you know, we talk about it because, uh, quite often they're right. Well, so just to wrap this up, what are kind of your hopes for the future for the melt and for the restaurant industry? Yeah. So look, I think the, I think the restaurant industry is healthy. This has certainly been a tough time for us through, through COVID and we've had to change and adapt. Um, and uh, this year, has been as rough as any with the supply chain challenges and uh, and the prices of food costs. Uh, but I think that uh, the restaurant industry is healthy, and if you if you deliver uh, great food and I love it here experience, um, sales are going to grow. Um, and at Melt, 
I'm looking forward to to growing smartly, um, but rapidly. We hope to build, um, you know, ten to fifteen restaurants a year for the next several years, and and uh, and to be a seventy to hundred restaurant brand by 2026. And so that's our that's our target. But I think that uh, you got to be careful, and you got to make sure that you're not growing just for growth sake and that you're doing it smart and you're doing it in a way that you can handle and still deliver those I love it here experiences. Well, I'm wishing you all the best and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Holly. I appreciate it.